Support for this NPR podcast comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, family-owned, operated, and argued over since 1980. Proud supporter of independent thought, whether that's online, over the air, or in a bottle. More at sierranevada.com. You're connected to All Songs Considered. I'm Bob Boylan. David Byrne has reasons to be cheerful. In fact, he has an entire website called Reasons to be Cheerful, filled with uplifting success stories, stories that may pull you out of your day-to-day frustrations. And another reason to be cheerful, David Byrne has taken his most recent tour, American Utopia, to Broadway. Today on All Songs Considered, a conversation with talking head author, cyclist, and creative soul David Byrne. We begin with the spark that inspired me to call him in the first place, this remarkable website he's curating called Reasons to be Cheerful. And we begin with his origins. It's a little story that I think a lot of people will be familiar with uh, because it probably happens to them too. Wake up in the morning and read the paper, at least that's what I do. (laughs) After half an hour maybe, I'm furious, depressed, anxious, cynical, whatever. And I thought, this is no way to live. I can't can't continue like this. I've got to find some alternative. And I started saving articles and things I'd read about that seemed kind of hopeful, that seemed to be going against the tide of all the kind of depressing negative things I was reading. And after a while, maybe a year or so, I realized, hey, I've accumulated quite a few things here. I realized that I was accumulating things that were kind of specific. They were all initiatives that were proven success stories. So it wasn't like a millionaire gives a a gift to a hospital, which is a kind of like a one-of thing. It's all good, Mm -hmm. but it's a one-of thing, or it's not, you know, some, some other kind of thing like that. These were kind of initiatives where they were successful and they could be replicated by other places. So they were sort of, were were they often locally based? Yes. They were often, not always, I mean, it depends on how you define local. (laughs) Right. Sometimes it's a whole country like Finland doing something, but it tends to be small countries or local. So it tends to be a, a city or a county or a state or sometimes a small country. And often, whatever it is, uh, yes, begins to be picked up by other places and emulated, which is, you would think that if something's successful that everybody would copy it. But that that's another whole <laughs> kind of hill to climb, get people to, to humble themselves enough to, to go, somebody else has already figured this out. We don't have to start from scratch. And we, it doesn't matter that we haven't invented the wheel ourselves. Those folks over there have invented the wheel. But then again, a lot of people don't know about these things because they may just be community-based. And, and so getting the word out about these, I'll call them solutions, to tackle problems is, uh, I mean, that's what makes this site for me such a, a, a beautiful thing. Well, thank you. Some of these things go unnoticed or maybe someone read about it, but they forgot about it. I read about one initiative that I thought was really fascinating. This is the Bard Prison Initiative. Oh, that's pretty great, yes. And uh, I think Bard started it, but other colleges have picked up on it. And what they do is they go to mainly local prisons in that area, and there happen to be quite a few of them, and they teach and give the folks there the opportunity of having a real university degree. 
not just learning a trade, mm -hmm. which that might be fine too, but this is having getting a real university degree. And they take it seriously, both the inmates and the teachers. And it really works. And works in that the recidivism rate, the rate of people who return to prison, drops incredibly. It's I've read that like 98 out of 100 graduates at, at Bard, this is in New York State, leave prison and don't come back. That is, I mean, that's extraordinary. And the it's, It really is extraordinary. Well, you have to know what the return rate <laughs> generally is, which is atrocious. You read about the, the normal return rate, and it's incredibly high, which and it actually makes you think that being in prison is a place to make you a lifelong felon, which in some ways it is. But uh, this kind of turns that around. Uh, and people don't return, which means they're getting jobs, which means they're having kind of fulfilling lives and they're making a life for themselves. Becoming proud of themselves and becoming not just, I can now know how to fix a car engine, but I know how to be a, a better human. I, I read this one, I wrote this down because I thought it was, a, it was a quote. I don't know who it's from, but it was somebody who went through the program and it says, all I knew before was the street. I was tied to, the, to its rules and expectations. Now I've read Plato, Shakespeare, studied history, anthropology, passed calculus, learned to speak Chinese. I know the world will be what I make of it. I can make my family proud. Wow. Yeah. Kind of amazing, yes. Very inspiring. I talked to some of the people who were engaged in this and said, you're so successful, why not keep expanding? Yeah. And they kind of said, we're not a big college. We've reached the limits of what we can do, but this initiative, this thing that we do, can serve as a model. Anybody, any university can do it with the community around them or the prisons around them, and that's happened. Other, I think it's Wellesley and quite a few other colleges and universities have begun to emulate this program. So that's really great. It's, it's not like they want to, that Bard wants to do it themselves everywhere. The idea is no, right. take our idea, do it yourself. So, sort of the point of the website is to spread the word, yeah? Yes. So it's part of it is spreading the word, and part of it is, well, for me, personal yeah. therapy. <laughs> it's, I work uh, in news, I've been in news for 30 years, so I really appreciate this. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yes, I mean, we, you, you all probably need it, and we Maybe. in the public read it. And we know that in the media, the stuff that grabs attention tends to be stuff that's bad news or shocking yeah. or all this kind of stuff. That's what grabs attention, so that gets the clicks or whatever else. So this kind of says, no, that's not all there is. There is other news that, uh, and it's not just whatever, namby-pamby good news. It's, it's real meaty stuff. So someone reads these. Have you uh, and the website received reaction or propelled things to happen beyond the story you put online? Because that's sort of another of the points of all of this, wouldn't it be? Wow. I can't claim that. Uh, okay. We've only been going for a few months, so we'll give it a little bit more time, yeah. and it'd be, that would be incredibly exciting if we find out or somebody tells us, oh, we did this because we read about it on your website. Well, I'm uh, <laughs> I'm gonna scream from the rooftops to go <laughs> read this thing, and you and there's a newsletter that also, if you want to subscribe, so you know when new stuff goes out. When you first started doing this, did you do 
the articles? Did you actually just tell the stories and now you have writers? I'm just trying to distinguish. Exactly. Okay. When I started, it was pretty much just me and I would get help with uh, research and editing, which is mainly just copy editing. Yeah. But then I realized after I'd done it for a while, I said, ah, I've, my time is kind of limited. I sometimes do other things. <laughs> and, it, and this thing needs to be uh, kind of weekly, at least a couple of articles come out every week. It needs, yeah, so that people can rely on something. And so looked around and found a, a team of writers and editors and more research people so we can actually make it a going thing. And on the website now, uh, I'm just going to look an article about how to uh, how cities will avoid death by self-driving car by Will Doig. Uh, there's a um, there's one um, called Nonstop Art in Lagos. <laughs> that's one that uh, that's one that I oh, that you were was on. involved in. I haven't been to Lagos, but I did uh, during a break. I went to a kind of art biennial in Kochi a small town in the state of Kerala in India. And it was really good. Uh, a lot of the artists uh, I'd never heard of. I had heard of a few of them. And a lot of them were from places that don't always show up in kind of the art museums and galleries uh, in the north here. So there'd be artists from Indonesia, South Africa, other parts of Africa, South America, uh, Malaysia, different India, of course, and I thought this is really exciting that there are, are artists in all these places and they're being given a voice. And what I was really curious about was, are any of these places coming into uh, having kind of a, a sustainable art ecology? Or what do you mean by that? A place where their trajectory isn't that they have to go to. Berlin or London or New York or L.A. or whatever like that to, to actually survive as an artist, that I they see. can survive in their own town, in their own community. And it needs a kind of ecology of, uh, for that to happen. And although I'm, we're talking about art, this probably is true for lots of other things, whether it's uh, writers or filmmakers or whatever else. There needs to be, well, uh, <laughs> someone buying your stuff, mm. There needs to be some institutional support, whether it's museums or other kinds of things. Those kinds of things, collectors, that for when, it, when it's art. And in some places, that is coming to pass. It's new, so it's not, it's fragile. It may not last, but it seems like it is, especially not in Kochi, where I was. That's a small town. Uh, in uh, Indonesia, in Jakarta, and there's another city in there. Um, and Lagos, Lagos is a huge city, hmm. has quite a number of institutions now. Most of them started by women, which is kind of interesting. Um, and this is kind of happening in different spots around the world. And I thought that's really encouraging, the fact that people can then, they don't have to leave to be successful. Uh, and it also means that Presumably, what they're making speaks to the concerns of the people around them. That's the beauty is that you, I'm sure you as an observer saw art the likes of you never would have seen at you know, a gallery in New York or other major city. Exactly, yes. There were people who were kind of doing things that where they were kind of collaborating with the people in their neighborhood. 
one of my favorite things was a Ciclo driver, one of those little like motorcycle <laughs> cab things. Right. He did uh, em- embroideries. They're beautiful, but they're all from the point of view of the driving position of a Ciclo. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) really good. If someone has a reason to be cheerful and they want to share it and it could fall into one of these categories, do you all have a mechanism yet to to do that? Yes, kind of. Uh, Will Doig and Christine McLaren, they're keeping things running at the moment while I'm here in Boston. And yes, they're tentatively, very gingerly, yeah. kind of interested in, yes, submissions. But we have a pretty rigid format. If we can, we want to show real proof that the initiative has been successful. Gotcha. We're not interested in somebody has a great idea. That's great. But we want to know about what, what happens after you put the idea into action. Did it work? Right. It's like happy journalism or inspiring (laughs) journalism. (laughs) We'll take a break. When I return with David Byrne, we'll talk about David Byrne on Broadway. And you're listening to All Songs Considered from NPR Music. Support for this podcast and the following message come from American Mensa, the high IQ organization that offers intellectual stimulation and a place to socialize with smart people like yourself. Your high intelligence is the passport to compelling Mensa groups, events, and publications. If you think you may be eligible for membership, take Mensa's admission test or qualify using one of 200 other supervised tests that are accepted. Visit AmericanMensa.com join to take the next step today. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Jack Daniels Tennessee Whiskey. Jack Daniels is the oldest, mellowest, whiskiest whiskey. And every drop is made in Lynchburg, Tennessee. It's how Jack Daniel himself made it over a century ago. And it's how they still do it today. Jack Daniels, turning nights into stories since 1866. Please drink responsibly. I'm Bob Boylan here in Washington, D.C. David Burns in Boston, Massachusetts, where he's preparing for the Broadway edition of American Utopia. You're doing rehearsals for American Utopia that's going to Broadway that sounds absolutely exhausting <laughs> and exciting, <laughs> but exhausting. I, th- I think we're we're through the exhausting part now. Really, um, we're the really exhausting part. Well, we'll see how d- how it goes. Describe the, a, oh. the exhausting part is when you're doing rehearsals in the daytime and then doing a show at night. Wow! And you so you you're, it's, it's almost like you're doing two shows every day, but we're past that now. We're doing what are called previews which means we can still make little adjustments to the show, but it's very close to being fixed as to what it is. And we're here for another week, and then we move to New York and start running it there. It starts October 20th. Can you, for those who didn't see the American Utopian tour, uh, when you go to the show, you think, oh, my God, they're running late because there's nothing on stage. It's just a blank canvas up there. Uh, but it's an extraordinary uh, performance of all the musicians, at least that tour was, uh, carrying all the instruments. So there's no drum on stage. There's no monitor speakers. Everything is being carried and marched around, danced and choreographed uh, around the music. Is the Broadway show, and please describe uh, how does that differ or does it differ from the tour? And describe to people, maybe a little better than I just did, 
of what this Broadway show is. Well, you, you made a pretty good start of it there. Yeah, the whole show that we toured, the musicians are untethered. Nobody has any, there's no wires or uh, drums or anything like that on stage. The stage is, is bare, and which means that the band, which is 12 of us, including me, we can go anywhere. So there's a lot of movement, but I think more important for an audience, what you're looking at is not stuff, what you're looking at is people. Uh-huh. Well, They're carrying their instruments, but really you're looking at them and how they re- react with one another, how they interact with you in the audience. And I realized that's what we care about. We don't care about stuff all that much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, a drum kit is a nice looking thing, but most of us would rather look at a person. It's funny you say that because when I started the Tiny Desk series, the thing that I was really adamant about is a no microphones, no headphones that block the face. First, there was no lights. We, we've done a few with some lighting and stuff. But basically, let's look at the faces and interactions between humans because that connection is what, at least for me, that's so important. Yeah, in the same way, our, our microphones are kind of on our, our head mounts. So and they're very have, small. Yeah, they're very small. So, yeah, again, what you see is us mostly. You don't see mic stands or any of that kind of stuff. So the tour went really well. People saw it and said, you need to bring this to Broadway. And I thought, well, all right, there's a challenge implicit there. Broadway's a different audience. It's a whole different context. Uh, The audience will come with a different set of expectations. So I need to kind of think about that. And as the tour went on last year, people and friends were telling me this, that there's a kind of arc, uh, almost a narrative inherent in the show. The journey of a person kind of in their life, kind of that would be me, but it's not totally autobiographical, Mm -hmm. but uh, it is kind of the journey and development of a person. And I thought, let's bring that out some more. Let's see if we can kind of make that more explicit, clearer. So I've added a few talky bits, changed some of the songs, uh, and added stuff at the end that kind of, I have to say, is incredibly powerful. So now we have something that I don't know that I've ever done before. Now the show is exciting and fun, and yes, it looks like no show that I've ever done before, but it's also very emotional at the ending. Sounds really beautiful. I hope to get to see it. And if you uh, ever want to bring any of that, uh, we've been doing a lot of Broadway shows at the Tiny Desk. Uh, <laughs> open invite, that's all. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we love the show. So thank you. Tiny Desk, yes, it would be fun to do. Well, I look forward to seeing the show, and thank you for taking time today. I'm really thrilled to spread the word about uh, reasons to be cheerful. It's, it's really a, a giant and wonderful project. Thank you. David Byrne, go and visit this website, Reasons to be Cheerful. Do it every day. (laughs) Great articles. And the show, American Utopia, opens on Broadway October the 20th. I'm Bob Boylan. Let's go out on a little music by David Byrne. For NPR Music, it's all songs considered. (laughs) 